this be one of the best moments of your life. You're listening to the Business Mirror Podcast for a broader look on business with Senior Editor Dennis Estopase. Good day. Welcome to Break Time Musings, a segment of the Business Mirror BM Broader Look Podcast. Today's podcast puts a spotlight on the glorious past of professional cycling. It is based on the Business Mirror Cycling Talk Shows streamed live via the Business Mirror website and Facebook page every Monday. The show is moderated by Business Mirror Sports Editor Jun Lumibaw and National Commissar for Road, Sunshine Joy Mendoza. We podcast today the second episode of the Business Mirror Cycling Talk Show which had Pat McQuaid and Jerry Aquino as guests. Let's get on with the story. Born in 1949 in Dublin, Ireland, Patrick Pat McQuaid is an Irish road racing cyclist who headed the Union Cyclist International, or UCI, for two four-year terms as president from 2005 to 2013. According to him, he's currently semi-retired. I'm very, very pleased to be speaking with you live today um, from France. I, I enjoyed very much my years in the Philippines uh, directing the Marlboro Tour and organizing the Marlboro Tour. I saw some extremely good cycling and some extremely talented cyclists and uh, it was a super time and, and Philippine cycling has, I think, has got a good future. Oh, I'm, I'm very well, thank you. I'm semi-retired now. I do some consultancy on some bike races like the Tour of Taiwan. Oh. Um, help them organize that race and um, I, you know, the rest of the time I spend uh, riding my bike and in, enjoying a, a, a nice, easy life now. McQuaid was cycle race promoter for the Tour of the Philippines or Tour de Filipinas from 1993 to 1996. McQuaid noted the development of professional cycling in the Philippines with the Marlboro Tour. No, I wasn't, I wasn't aware at all of what it was or what I was expecting or what I was going to see. And the first time I came, I came uh, in advance of the, the 93 tour, I think it was. And then I spent the whole three weeks on the 93 tour, watching it, studying it, looking to see how, how it can change. And I, I have to say, I was very, very surprised with what I saw because I saw a race which was certainly 21 days long. It was certainly difficult, certainly some great, um, great cycling terrain and also magnificent crowds. But the race itself was all like the race that had been 30 years previous. Began in the late 1970s, the Marlboro Tour traces its origins to the Tour of Luzon, launched in 1955 as a four-stage race from Manila to Vigan. It was called the Marlboro Tour after the tobacco brand became race sponsor. McQuaid said he had memorable experiences during his stay in the Philippines to oversee the UCI-sanctioned races from officials to riders to the fans. Either there are many, many memorable experiences and there's not any one that stands out. Mm-hmm. First of all, um, the, is there, there are some officials that, that I worked with which, which were passionate, absolutely passionate about cycling. Um, some of them are no longer with us. Um, yes. Um, 
Pepe, for instance, now who who was always by our side every day and working with us, and when we were doing the, the recce's in advance in the in the months in advance of the race, and um, he, he passed away now. But people like him, I'll, I'll, I will never forget. But from a, from a cycling point of view, I think some of the some of the battles and some of the riders that I saw battling on on the, the, the climb of Baggio, for instance, um, are up up into Benaui and. Places like this on the really long, hard climbs. People like Espirito and uh, people like that were really talented cyclists. And had they had they been given opportunities to, to travel and, and take part in races abroad, they could have had a very successful successful future. So it's, it's, it's it really was the, the, the probably for me to be honest with you, the, the thing that really does stand out were the numbers of people on the roadside and. I know from from being on the Tour de France. I know driving through the crowds on the Tour de France when you will, and the, the police will say, "Today we had one million people on the roadside." Mm -hmm. I know there were days on the Marlborough Tour that I saw equally the same number of people on the roadside, over one million people on one stage. So I mean, that's that's something that that, that I will never forget. And a lot of them listening to the race on the radio, the Francis. And I would be in front of the, the leading brake, but the race director is always the front car in front of the, the leading riders. And I would I would know from having the window down as I passed by the people on the roadside, they would know who was coming at them in the brake. They would be able to mention the names of the riders. McQuaid said he was amazed how fans relied on the radio, which showed the enthusiasm of Filipinos over cycling and its good mass base. So they were listening on the radio, listening to the race live, and then watching it go by as, a, as they as they stood on the roadside. Things like this were were you know were absolutely very impressive. Under the Marlboro Tour, the route of the race was expanded to include cities other than those in northern Luzon. For Jerry Aquino, a key organizer of the Marlboro Tour, the stage ending in Lawag remains a memorable experience. I particularly enjoyed the. Uh, uh, Lawag, mm -hmm. uh, our uh, stages in uh, Lawag, not because you know my family hails from from uh, the region, and uh, I'm I'm Ilocano as well. I don't go go to uh, to the north much, even even during uh, those years. But um, for some reason, Lawag had that kind of old world mystique about it and uh laid back i really enjoyed uh having uh stages end in lawag but of course you know some of our hairiest experiences in the during the tour uh the two years happened just north of that it's very relaxing because it's mm -hmm. it's a very quiet city uh, but you have everything there Mm -hmm. And uh, well, as far as you guys in the sports media were concerned, you also liked it because you know Lawag had the golf course at that time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I used Fort to take the guys out on the course mm -hmm. during the rest day. While vegan was one of the memorable stages for McQuaid, he also noted the finishing stage at Banawe. I remember vegan, yeah, because I remember it was it was an historic town. And there were a lot of when we wandered around the town after the stage, there were a lot of 
uh, antique shops and, and mm -hmm. things like this. It was a, a very different sort of a town uh, than rest, the rest of the, the, the Philippine mm -hmm. towns. But for, for me, I think one of the, the most enjoyable finishes I always found was Banaui. Banaui, yes. When we went up, it wasn't a severe climb like Baguio. It wasn't, mm -hmm. it wasn't quite as, as long or as hard. Um, or it wasn't the, 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 the Baguio climb was a big, big main road all the way up to Baguio, big wide road. But uh, the Banaui one is twisting and turning, going through the tea leaves and the tea plantations. And I always found that a very beautiful stage. Um, and the, the whole countryside around Banaui is beautiful as well. McQuaid said while the Malboro Tour remained on a consistent path in evolving professional cycling in the Philippines, there was a point that the life cycle of the competition seemed to have reached a plateau. The rules of the Marlboro Tour had not changed in all of that 30 years because they had been outside of the UCI and they great every year along the same lines as they organized it before. But in actual fact, in cycling, it's a live sport. The rules change, they constantly evolve and constantly change. And uh, there were things, for instance, in, in the Marlboro Tour, like every, every team car had a commissaire in the team mm -hmm. car and the commissaire wasn't allowed to speak to the riders. I mean, that's, mm -hmm. that, that wouldn't be acceptable nowadays. Hence, McQuaid emphasized that professional cycling in the Philippines needs to continue its evolution. So the first thing we had to do um, as, as outside consultants um, was to change the rules, bring it more in line with, with world cycling today. McQuaid noted Africa as an example of how professional cycling has evolved. So it's really a long process uh, to get someone on a high-level uh, uh, elite type of rider. It is, it is a long process, but it's possible and it can be done in a couple of years because you look, for instance, at Africa at the moment. Mm -hmm. uh, I paid a lot of attention when I became president of the UCI to African and development African cycling mm -hmm. and countries like Eritrea, Rwanda, um, Ethiopia, they now have cyclists who are riding the Tour de France and Tour de Spain and racing like this and that happened in a period of oh, five, six years on So it's not that long of a process once once you, you, you set about um, bringing riders to the highest level. Based on his experience, McQuaid noted which type of rider, for example a sprinter or climber, can win cycling competitions. It's, it's an all-rounder, really. It's not a sprinter, but yet he needs to be able to stay in the, in the peloton when the, when, the, when the sprints are on so that he doesn't lose time in the, in the final couple of kilometers. Mm -hmm. But he needs to be a very good climber and a very good time trialist. Those are the two most important things, climbing and time trialing. Because uh, a lot of riders can, be, can get good results on the hills, on the mountains, but then when they, when they come to a time trial, they lose two or three minutes. And we saw even this year's Tour de France, um, a rider who normally would be very good in the time trial, Rodgelik, was yeah. beating a younger rider who rode a better time trial, basically. Um, and so I think those are the two elements, the climbing and the... Uh, after that, being, being a sprinter isn't, doesn't really doesn't win the Tour de France. You may win stages, all right, but you'll never win the Tour de France because you'll never gain enough time. McQuaid said that while there's no strict food regimen that a professional cyclist must follow, the most important is to maintain a balanced diet. No, I, I don't think any, any particular diet makes any, mm -hmm. any difference. You know, once, 
once you have a balanced diet and people people eat I mean the Philippines is pretty good I think but you you spread your meal over the three the three meals in Europe people have a very small breakfast they have a very small lunch and they have a big dinner or else they have a small breakfast they have a big lunch and a small dinner but in, in the Philippines it's much the same breakfast lunch and dinner is much the same so it's balanced and once you're getting the nutrients from the food you eat a lot of fish in the Philippines which is very good once you're getting the nutrients in, in the food from, from what you need, then, then the Philippine diet is no is 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 no way inferior to any other diet. Nonetheless, acclimatizing oneself to a certain altitude is also good for a professional cyclist, according to McQuaid. Well, I mean, any anything over three thousand three thousand meters, which is about six thousand feet, is yes. it, uh, is is a good is a good level to be to mm -hmm. be living at. And people who live at that level have developed already, um, you know, a very strong lungs and, and strong physical attributes. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's that. And, and you don't have to live there all the time. But even for, for training camps, a lot of the, a lot of the European professionals, uh, they go to the Canary Islands here in, in Europe for a training camp because it's at a high level. It's at, at uh, 2,000 meters. Mm -hmm. And they train at 2,000 meters. And then they come down to to sea level to race and to get the benefit of it you know so um, for the, the Colombians it, they're, they're, they're a bit special because they have lived all their life in, in, at that level mm -hmm. and they they you know they come down to Europe and they they race in Europe and they're getting the benefit of, of coming from altitude it's the same same in with with, with athletics for instance if you look at athletics the, the top athletes in the world the Kenyans and people like that they're athletes who, who live all the time at a high level, and then then they they come and race in at the lower level and win. So I I, I think anything above uh, two thousand meters or you know three 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 thousand four thousand feet. McQuaid mused that Filipino cyclists should be given more opportunities to compete in international races. He also noted that several challenges face professional cyclists in the Philippines. The organization or the, the federation should have been put, sending more teams to more races in international in countries mm. abroad in Asia and even in Europe. Um, they should have they, they should have taken over you know the control of, of training officials, training coaches, training uh, commissaires, and training you know bringing riders to a high level. To get, a, to get riders at a high level, it's not just the riders who need to be operating at a high level. It's also the officials that are around. They need to be ambitious. They need to want to, to, to have riders racing at the top international level. So coach, coaching is extremely important. And also the the, the vision, the, the international vision to, to bring cyclists to the highest level. And the, the, the problem with the, the professional cycling organization at that time was that it had been more or less in the wilderness for 20, 25, 30 years and hadn't been evolving and hadn't got an outward vision out, out of the Philippines. You know, in, in, into Europe even. And so I think it needed to, need to form that thing, to get these riders and bring them to races abroad. A bit like what's happening. It's Rick Rodriguez has a team that goes out to races, the, 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 the 7-Eleven team that goes to races outside of the Philippines and tries to ride international races. And I think you need to look at getting into the international races 
getting UCI points and, you know, first of all, on the Asia Tour, to be the, among the leaders of the Asia Tour, mm. uh, UCI Asia Tour. When asked on how to successfully organize professional cycling competitions, like the Marlboro Tour, Jerry Aquino advised being hands-on for one. Ang uh, masasabi ko lang, no? although I, I will say it in, in somewhat general terms, no? uh, one is be hands-on. Maski na ikaw yung, uh, let's say, your head na organizing committee, be hands-on. Yun ang mindset mo, lapat, uh, no? But it doesn't mean na pakikialaman mo lahat dahil hindi mo magagawa yun. So, which brings us to the second point. Learn how to delegate. And when you do, you delegate it to the right persons. Halimbawa, yung pang-survey pang ng mga ruta, hindi ko kaya gawin yun uh, on my own. Maybe some routes, uh, pero... You know, executive ako ng kumpanya. You know, I also have uh, other responsibilities. So, you have to choose the right people. But when you do get involved, get involved deeply with a passion. Alam mo talaga yung nangyayari. So, number one, uh, hands-on. And number two, learn how to delegate. And being hands-on, delegation is also part of it. You choose the right uh, people. And then, I, I, I always stress uh, a third point, um, which I learned the hard way. No? The first two, two tours ko, medyo mainitin ang ulo ko eh. So, especially yung mga finish lines during that time, talaga ang gugulo. You know, we finish ka, nakikita mo yung, uh, yung arco ng finish line, pero all you see are people. Before you get there, so ano gagawin ng cyclist maglalakad sa finish line, di ba? Uh, you have to be patient. Uh, dati, yung, kwan, eh, yung spirit pa naman ako, parang gusto mo tuhugin yung finish line para mawala yung tao. Eh. Pero you cannot do that. You have to be, to be patient also because tama yung sabi mo, you deal with LGUs. And that's their territory, not yours. And you're, you're going there as a visitor. So, kailangan ng pasensya. Kuminsan, you know, uh, more than some people are are capable of. Kaya, sabi ko nga earlier, yun point number two. Kumili ka ng tamang taong makikipag-usap sa kanila. And you know, the person that was very good at that was... Uh, Si Paddy Padilla. Attorney Cornelio Padilla. Si Paquito. Si Paquito Rivas. Mahusay din magano. Kung di niya kaya. Silang dalawa ni Tommy Cruz. No? Tom Cruz. Uh, <laughs> uh, yung sa, no? Remember yung uh, they were the guys that used to do the uh, the merchandising sa start and finish line yung mag, uh, mag-set up. Sila nag-set up ng start and finish. So, you know, kung may problema sa start and finish, sila po na magkakaproblema. Because they're doing it a day ahead. Pero kung yan, sa akin, yan yung ABC. Hands-on, uh, to the extent that uh, you can be hands-on, part of it is 
being able to delegate and choose the right people. <laughs> you know, you need to hear this patient sometimes. Hindi pwede yung kwan. I learned the hard way. Hindi pwede So, I hope it helped. Uh, I mean, I'm, I said it's got to be in general terms. Uh, in terms of you being a person who is organizing an event, your personality that you bring into it is important. Marami yan. Nakami mong kausap. And then, you're responsible for a lot of money. Also. Correct. So, thank you, Sir Jerry, for your insight. For, for the people like us who organize races now. Thank you for listening to the Business Mirror Podcast. For a broader look on business, follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Business Mirror. Until next time.